Welcome to Season 10 of American Political History, the North American Contest, Braddock's Defeat. Governor Dinwiddie pressed the Virginia Assembly to give him 20,000 pounds sterling for an expedition into the Ohio Valley. The Assembly held up funding unless Lieutenant Governor Dinwiddie settled a pistol fee dispute entirely in their favor. Gridlock settled into Virginia. In September 1754, Lieutenant Governor Dinwiddie considered resignation in response to his failures, and he awaited word from Whitehall. Whitehall's response was that they were sending ten regiments of Irish infantry under the command of Major General Edward Braddock, and that Major General Braddock would be the commander-in-chief in North America, giving him expressed power over all English forces in North America. He would be arriving with orders from Whitehall for the colonial governors to form a common defense fund to support his military operation, and if such a common fund failed to be funded, he had the authority to draw funds directly from the colonies. The colonial governors were to provide all necessary quarters, supplies, and transport for British regulars, as well as providing 3,000 militia to be drafted into Major General Braddock's forces. In February 1755, Major General Braddock arrived in Virginia. Braddock had not been selected for his tactical ability or experience on the battlefield. He was known as a capable administrator and disciplinarian, but most importantly, he was politically reliable to members of the Privy Council. None of this prepared Braddock for the resistance he would face in North America. The Pennsylvania Assembly, based on its Quaker beliefs, refused to appropriate money to support the Army's operations. Major General Braddock would send a letter to Governor Robert Morris talking about the deplorable behavior of your assembly. When he heard that Boston, New York, and Philadelphia merchants were still trading with French merchants in Montreal and Louisbourg, he sent a letter for the governors of those colonies to attend him at conference in Annapolis, Maryland, where in early April he could personally dress them down in public for their failures to manage their colonies. Braddock would bark orders to colonial governors, but he never really understood that his commission gave him great formal authority, but it gave him no political influence over the colonial assemblies. He treated the governors as his battalion commanders, giving them orders for what to do, but he needed to persuade and ingratiate himself with the stubborn, suspicious, and locally-minded assemblies, rally them to a common cause. Rather than ever seeking their advice, he simply read his commission to them and laid out as much of the plan that he thought they should know. The battle plan in general was simple. The English fleet would patrol the Gulf of the St. Lawrence, cutting off Canada from reinforcements. Two regiments under General Braddock would directly attack Fort Ducany in the Ohio Valley. Two regiments under the command of Governor Shirley would attack Fort Niagara from Albany. And then after driving the French from the Ohio Valley, Braddock's forces would move north along the Allegheny, rolling up the remainder of French forts around the Great Lakes. At least, this was a plan created by men studying maps in London. Requisitioning the necessary men and supplies was a problem from the start. The first issue was that there was limited supply of men and materials in colonial America. The commissaries of different armies would then be competing against each other for these supplies, this gave colonial merchants the opportunity to price gouge for those limited supplies. The next issue was that the men in London had no concept of the terrain of North America. They had assumed that there were river crossings and that these deer trails were paved roads from the very start. 
There is no way Braddock's forces would be able to attack the French in what is today Tennessee, travel up to Lake Michigan, then across the Great Lakes to the east, and make a rendezvous with Governor Shirley in a single summer. Lastly, they would eventually alienate all of the native nations of the Ohio Valley, who would refuse to be their scouts in a land which the English knew so little of. The colonial governors unanimously protested this plan. General Braddock brushed them off. Governor Shirley, who was closest to him, personally protested the plan to General Braddock, who admitted that their complaints had merit, but that he had received these battle plans directly from Lord Cumberland, the head of the English army himself, and that he was not going to be the one to fail to execute his plan. In June of 1755, William Johnson, now the superintendent of native affairs in North America, conducted talks with the Onondaga. The goal was to get the Iroquois to support them in these upcoming expeditions against the French in the Ohio Valley, and to exclude Shirley from getting any support from the Iroquois. Governor Shirley had excluded the governor of New York from army supply contracts, and William Johnson was a political ally of Governor Delancey. So, Shirley received no support from the Iroquois. Major General Braddock would meet up with an ambitious colonial officer who had declined the opportunity to serve as commander of Virginia's militia forces, and instead chose to join Braddock as a volunteer gentleman serving without pay in order to obtain Braddock's patronage. This was, of course, George Washington. Braddock also received Benjamin Franklin, arriving in his capacity as deputy postmaster of the colonies, but was actually there in hopes to smooth out relationships between Pennsylvania's assembly and the major general. Franklin made himself useful right away by immediately volunteering to secure 150 needed wagons from southern Pennsylvania. When sachems of the Delaware, Shawnee, Mingo, and Oneida arrived to support Braddock's expedition, he saw no use for exotic, undisciplined warriors who had brought their families. He could not see their purpose even after the Delaware sachem, Shingas, had brought detailed maps of Fort Duncanee. Then Braddock would alienate all of the natives of the Ohio Valley with one conversation. When a sachem asked Braddock, If we fight for and are friends of the English, might we be permitted to live and trade amongst the English and have hunting grounds sufficient to support ourselves and our families? Braddock would reply, no savage inherits lands. The next day, the sachem asked Braddock to reconsider his decision, saying, if we do not have the liberty to live on that land, then why would we fight for it? Major General Braddock responded curtly, I don't need your help. I have no doubt that we will be driving the French from those lands shortly. Upon hearing Braddock's response, the native nations of the Ohio Valley immediately sent word to the French that they would be joining them in this fight over the Ohio Valley. Part of Braddock's dismissiveness of the minor nations of the Ohio Valley was that he had attached himself to the promise of Lieutenant Governor Dinwiddie that the Cherokee and Catawaba would be supporting the expedition. But only someone without any knowledge of Indian affairs would think such a thing because the Cherokee were never going to join forces with anyone who had allied themselves with the Iroquois their traditional adversaries. This meant that the Northern Army would have the support of the Iroquois, and Braddock's expedition would have no native support. As Braddock's army began to march through the wilderness, they made slow progress. After a week and 35 miles traveled, 
He divided his forces into a flying column which would press rapidly forward as possible, and a second baggage train which would follow with the bulk of the supplies and improve the road as it went. On July 9, 1755, Braddock's flying column would advance to within 10 miles of Fort Duquesne. The French had had intelligence of their movements the entire time, and they decided that their best bet was to attack, because only 200 of their 1,600-man force would even fit within Fort Duquesne. On July 9th, they attacked. In the opening volley, the French captain that led the forces was killed. But this French force mostly consisted of warriors from the Mingo, Delaware, Shawnee, and various Canadian Algonquian allies. They had no need for a French captain to organize them on the battlefield. They were fighting on their traditional hunting grounds, which had the undergrowth burnt, designed for easy hunting of game. In this case, the English. The natives would attack from the underbrush, firing at the British column and then dispersing into the woods. The Redcoats, trained for battlefields in Europe, attempted to repeatedly form their unit together and fire as a unit. But by the time they formed up, their enemy had disappeared. When the front of the British forces began retreating, away from their disadvantageous position, Major General Braddock ordered the main body of his forces forward. As the units collided, there was general confusion and the natives took full advantage of this by picking off the horses and the people in the most audacious outfits. Within the first 10 minutes, 15 of the 18 English officers were dead. Fear spread. Redcoat discipline disintegrated. The two columns were now little more than random huddles of men being picked off one by one from an invisible enemy. Major General Braddock would be shot in the back with a musket ball while he was trying to rally his men. When the general fell, the army completely disintegrated. The natives charged with hatchets and scalping knives. Survivors would run screaming in terror for miles before they collapsed with exhaustion. Captain Adam Stevens of the Virginia Militia would say after the battle of Braddock's performance, he had let the enemy come to us, creeping near us. In their hunting grounds, we were hunted like a herd of buffalo. This route was caused from a complete lack of understanding of native warfare. They had done their damage and were looking for a path of retreat. It was only because the European army had opened itself up to such a defeat that it was routed, suffering a staggering loss of two-thirds of its army in one day. General Braddock would die five days later from his wounds, buried in an unmarked grave to prevent pillaging five miles from Fort Necessity. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating. And share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.